Blacksburg, Virginia. Folks, we go to noisy stadiums all around the country. I'm not sure we have ever been in a scene where fans are any more pumped than they are right here tonight. Waiting right now for the Hokies to take the field. They are jumping, they are screaming, and it's been this way for the last 30 minutes. Frank Beamer waits in the tunnel. This is the date that they have pinpointed on the calendar for a very, very long time. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegler. I'm Curtis Wilson. And Brian, that was the voice of the legendary Ron Franklin who passed a couple weeks ago. And I thought it was not more than a fitting tribute to play the 2003 entrance to the Miami game because, man, we we can say it, right? If, If you're of our age, if Ron Franklin was calling your game on ESPN, it was a big deal. You knew that was a big damn matchup that weekend. Um, the call was always spot on. It just, it was so smooth. Uh, it set the picture. Um, it got everybody in the mood for a great game. And as he said, there's no place like doing it in lane, man. It wasn't. He had that one and then the 05 when he called that game as well. That night, it was two versus eight. When he came back in 05, it was three versus five. So for our generation, if again, when Ron Franklin called your game on Saturdays, you, like it, it's big. It means there's a lot of eyes on the country. And, you know, he passed away 79 years old. And, you know, it's one of those things that as our age, like things like this are going by. You know, Keith Jackson passed a few years ago. and when Keith passed, it's like it's part of your childhood and your adolescence. Like you're, you're losing it. And, it, and it sucks in a way. But when you hear that call, it's just like, I mean, I got I got goosebumps. Yep. Because, you know, we were what twenty? Oh no, <laughs> nineteen, twenty years old. When yeah, I, was, I was, I was nineteen. You were twenty. Yeah, I was twenty. Wow. So rest in peace, Ron Franklin, buddy. We have a lot to uncover tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of stuff's happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, we obviously are going to touch on a little bit of this uh, National Signing Day. It wasn't a, a busy day, per se, for the Hokies. Uh, but we were able to close out kind of what we expected. Got a couple uh, last-minute additions. And, yeah. you know, we'll talk about that schedule release and uh, how it's – Overall, a little little light. We got a little bit of a gauntlet in there. So we're going to talk about a, little, a few things tonight here. A little bit of everything. But the first thing I want to hit on tonight, Brian, is we've been following it. And most of Hokie Notion, who's on social media, has been following it. What this coaching staff has done on the trail in the last few weeks is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, shout out David Cunningham over at Tech Sideline. Um, hook me up with this document even keeping track of in these last few weeks this staff has went to 101 schools of the 101 
70 have been in Virginia. Which, Bruno Price said it. Yep. <laughs> We're going to saturate the state. Yep. And we did. And, and, and you know, he said it during, uh, during the, the presser as well, you know, not just talking about hitting schools where we've got prospects either closing out for 22 or targeting in 23, but getting those relationships back in schools that don't necessarily have a prospect that are on our radar right now, just so that those relationships are in place, you know, when the time comes around, because it, it always does. Right. I mean, yep. e- even some of the smaller schools uh, in the state, they're going to have a guy pop here or there that that's yep. going to be on the division uh, one radar. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, even Charlotte County next to us has had a couple. We've had a couple in Halifax. I mean, not away. Um, you know, even you know Lynchburg's a little bigger, but you know places like that. Yeah, and think of some of the mountain schools. And I mean, they literally, as we look through this list, they hit everywhere. I mean, they hit down in the deep southwestern part. They hit south side. They went to EC Glass. Somebody, you know, our high school played against, and you played against. They were out here in the West End hitting up Deep Run and Hermitage. On the East End, hitting up Highland Springs. No doubt we were going there. Yep. All sorts of places down in the 7-5. From the beach all the way up the peninsula. Northern, it, it, it sounds crazy, and it did seem like more than just a handshake and a how you doing. It yep. seemed like they were in there. You know, Prop mentioned today he was at one of the smaller – uh, schools in the Southwest. And when he, when they knew he was coming, there were like 14 teachers who were like hokey fans or alum waiting for him. I mean, it's, it's a way it, it just, when words are one thing, actions are another. Yeah. We're, we're seeing it play out in real time, right? We're seeing, and not just shaking the hands of the coaches or talking to the, you know, one or two prospects that are there uh, for that school. But going by and seeing the teachers that are, have, you know, either Hokie alums or Hokie fans that have reached out um, as the day has gone along. I mean, you saw uh, several photos with, uh, with, with teachers and with, um, yeah, admin with, uh, with, uh, you know, even like PE teachers and stuff. I mean, there, there was stuff all over the place, guys that aren't necessarily, you know, directly involved in the recruiting, but have, they have an impact, right? They, Yep. They are they are ambassadors for the tech brand um, all the time because that that that's either that's their school or that's who they like that's who they pull for so um, getting in good with them and and showing that they're part of the process I mean that's big and that's only going to bode well in the future it, it absolutely is so great to see that also great to see right now tech basketball going up eleven points as we started the show I think it was a two point game and I was like. Why can't we just squash lesser competitors? Like they heard it, and they have went on a massive run to go up 11 here with about four minutes left in the first half. We'll be watching that, and we'll, we'll talk a little hoops later on. It's always good to smash Pastor. Cause, oh, know. yes. He just has <laughs> a punchable face. He's got a punchable face, man. Yeah, he's, so punchable. And everything. All right, so, <laughs> so let's hit up this tonight, guys. We, we already kind of mentioned it. Big part of the night, what we talk about today was the final signing day, original signing day. The class is kind of the bow on it, per you say. Maybe a few more walk-ons and things like that trickle down. But scholarship guys are locked in. And, Brian, we've been talking about this class being a better class, even with the turnover. And I think, again, it goes to credit of this staff. 
ended 247, ranked 33, fifth in the ACC. What do you think about that before we jump into some of these players? I think they did a good job of holding on to what was there and kind of making a few a few good moves towards the end to kind of fill out the roster and make sure that we're a little bit better set up going into the 2023 class. Uh, and I, and I think they, they did a good job with that. Um, you know, we lost a couple, um, big names towards the end there. Yeah. Um, but we replaced those with, you know, a couple, a couple big names as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, did a good job of, of kind of rounding out the edges with some of the, uh, the last minute additions between, you know, the couple flips we had towards the end of, of the cycle in the early signing day. And then, um, getting a big one from down in Florida to kind of close out, uh, you know, this round of, of signing day. So I think overall the staff did a good job. I'm looking to see, you know, some improvement, um, heading into 2023. Absolutely, um, or or at least not giving any ground considering the late start in the twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty four is where I'm looking for the big big movement in terms of upswing in the in the recruiting pool where we're you know flirting with uh, with the top twenty. Yep, uh, you know Brent Price said it today during his presser about basically this class. You start relationships in ninth grade. They're coming in having to start relationships roughly halfway through these kids' eleventh grade year for the class of 2023 and the class of 2022 was, well, it was just, this is who we are. This is what we're trying to do. Um, I I will say this. I think you're right about next year. I want to see no worse than 33. I'd like to see a marginal gain. I'd like to break. I'd like to see 29, 28 be sweet to see mid twenties, but I think that is, I think it's fair. And it's, and he is painting a picture and setting the standard of like, don't expect us to go from 33 to 13 in one year because that's not how recruiting works. And it's great to see that. But Brian, let's talk about these three guys that were, uh, that signed today. And let's start with this guy first, Daquan Wright. I mean, we got him way back when, when did he commit? Let me see here. Committed back summer of last year, right? Yeah. I think it was early June. Yep. Late June, late, late June, June okay. last year, six four two thirty down from Perry, Georgia. He went from like a mid eighties, mid three star guy to a four star guy, and I mean, you know, he would be higher if Rivals had him as a tight end and not a wide receiver. Yeah, Rivals sort of screws his composite up, but two four seven, who we kind of looked at more, um, rates him as a ninety. So you know, prop did a you know, mentioned a few quick things about him. The first thing that kind of was interesting, and I don't think it's shocking. I think, Ryan, you've been looking at tape. We're going to be a tight end-oriented team. And Price said that, and he talks about, you know, Daquan's athleticism to the position, 230, you know, and he's just another piece of being that tight end-oriented team. Yeah, and, I mean, the thing with him is that he is that that versatile player. So you can put him in line. You can put him in a wing. You can put him in the H. You can put him out wide. I mean, he's he's the guy that can really do it all for you and create mismatches across the offense wherever he's lining up. So um, that's really the big thing for him. Um, he's got really good hands, good ball skills. He's, he did pretty much everything uh, down there at Perry um, between playing a little bit of quarterback, wide receiver, tight end on defense. I mean, 
he's really done it all and that his versatility is his biggest asset um and and he's really shined pretty much everywhere he's lined up exactly all right so again tight end room that would be three tight ends now with him Harrison St. Germain and Benji Gosnell now Brian I want to flip over talk about the big guy next Xavier Chaplin signs his letter of intent even after getting a mail offer from Michigan offers from Louisville um he holds with the Hokies he had to cancel a couple OVs to those other schools, so we might have gotten lucky. But 6'6", he's ran about 330 pounds now. As Brent Pride talked about, he had lost about 30 pounds um, since, you know, when he was offered and he camped here. And, you know, he talked about this is a guy they wanted to keep in the boat right away. Rudolph went and visited him right when the dead period ended. Um and he he mentioned elite size. Yeah. I think that is categorically correct of how big Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six six three thirty. Um at the at the time he, he camped here six six three uh fifty five. So um six six three three thirty is a, a big man. That's a that's a big man. Um and that that's that type of size that they're coming in and we're essentially get him in the weight room, smooth out the edges, get him in, in the, uh, on the field and, and get him some reps. Yep. Well, there, there's not, there's not a whole lot of uh, seasoning that he needs in terms of, of the weight room. Um, so. And, and that, in the weight room might not be a problem because the one thing that really impressed Pry was how there wasn't sloppiness. He's, nah, six, he, like, he's athletic. I mean, you, you see him on uh the, the videos he posed Duncan. I mean, he's at athletic, quick. Um, you know, he he moves well for that size. Let me ask this: When you saw him do that dunk, did you think about any like run blocks? The amount of explosion in his legs, like getting a hold of a defensive end and just like probably, I mean, annihilate him. Oh yeah, I mean, th- this guy's gonna. I mean, we've we've seen it on tape. He's got really good form, run blocking. He he's got good drive. Uses an explosive nail. Has a good punch. So. Um, I think, you know, like I said, Rudolph's going to get in there and, and smooth out some of those edges. But I think this is a guy that, you know, could potentially, um, you know, see some time for us uh, pretty quick. Not not sure if it'll be year one, but how, how thin we are at tackle, look for year two to, mm-hmm. to, to get him on the field, hopefully. Well, and I think with his size, I think you could see year one. I mean, you talk about punt protection, field goal protection teams. I mean – yeah, I mean, you, you got to weigh that against. Do you want to burn a red shirt? I mean, that's essentially if you can, if you can find a way not to, sure. But if oh. if he's your if he's your best number two, you got to. I mean, you got you got you got to ride it. Exactly. Ride it. All right. Well, then there was one Brian that kind of came out of nowhere, and Brent Price said it today during the presser. They tried to keep this very quiet. They tried to keep it on the down low, and literally yesterday, everything started flowing through. And he committed, signed today. And that is Devin Alvis, three-star out of Melbourne, Florida, 6'2", 180. Looks like he's going to probably play the safety position. Um, Seeing, you know, Derek Jones talked about him being the cheetah and then Pearson Prelude putting some stuff out there. They might be battling for him to play corner or to play it 
Um, did you get a chance? I know it's been really quick. Did you get a chance to look at anything? I mean, he plays in 7A, which is just a monstrous division down in Florida. I haven't looked at a ton of tape. I did kind of quickly glance at him. I know Pry was talking about um, looking at either boundary corner or potentially free safety for him. So, you know, I, I like him either either spot based on the tape that I've seen so far. Um, got a pretty good build already. I like that we're going with a little bit longer corner. Um, 6'2 is probably a little taller than we're we're used to. Um, but I, I like that a little more size. I mean, he, he keeps the athleticism despite the extra height there. So um, I'm looking forward to getting this guy on campus and seeing what he can do. Yep. And, and you know, Price said he wants to get him to about 205. Being at what he is right now, I, that's a year or two game probably to get there physically. But, again, it's one of those – there's not a lot of diamonds in the rough because this guy was still ranked among the top 1,000 players. And somehow – you know, no other P1 offers, you know, had, I think, a Virginia State or Virginia Union offer along with a few other ones. So pretty wild a kid like that slips through. Um, and, again, I think for the back end, that, that gives us another DB to work with. All right, let's talk about real Brian quick. Um, two uh, prefer walk-ons. And I don't know a lot about them just names and seeing who they are. But I think it kind of reaches to the point, going back to what we were initially talking about being on the trail, talking about George Balance out of Cox down in Virginia Beach and Latrell Sutton um, out of Highland Springs. Um, Balance dad's played here, you know, back in the 1980s. Brother played baseball here at Tech. 6'1", linebacker. Latrell's an outside linebacker, 6'1", 195. This is how you make inroads. You yep. see a good player. They both had offers to other schools. Um, and, and Well, especially Sutton. I mean, we, we talked about the importance of, uh, you know, we, we, we've had two back-to-back years of taking a preferred walk-on from Highland Springs. True. Back-to-back years. We got a preferred walk-on from Highland Springs. Obviously, we got Purnell as part of this class. Uh, yep. in terms of scholarship athletes. So getting those inroads is still big and it's going to matter long-term. Um, and, and again, getting a guy like Latrell Sutton, I, I think he's, you know, I don't know if he's a guy that can eventually earn a scholarship, but I think, you know, guys that have played there in Highland Springs, they, they know how to ball. Yes, they do. So if, if they can get some other things cleaned up in their game, that could potentially be an offer there. But you know, worst case, that's going to be somebody that can give us a good look, uh, you know, week in, week out. Yeah. And, and again, it just keeps building the inroads and recruiting into vital recruiting areas to our future. And, yep. and, and again, it's also awesome to see like George, dad played here, you know, guy gets a chance to follow in dad's footsteps, which is always a cool thing, just like a lot of the brother stuff. So, Awesome to see that. I'm sure we'll have a few more preferred walk-ons before the uh, end of the week, probably for the next time we meet. All right, Brian. So what we decided to do is, you know, we, we, we always went through these players, went a lot. You know, Brian would break them down real quick, and sometimes that would take a long time. So as we are getting into season three here of the Boundary Corner podcast, we're getting smarter, not working. <laughs> 
it's hard, but still <laughs> making things interesting. So work, work smarter, not harder, right? Smarter, not harder. And so the kind of the way we looked at this class, and we're not going to talk about every player, but we kind of put it into three categories and players that we like in each category. And we kind of broke them down this. We talked about, and we mentioned this before, we have a crown jewels of this class who are kind of the upper echelon for whatever reason. We're calling one a blue-collar grinder. Guys, Brian Fields on tape, they just go in there, they do their jobs, he's going to have a chance to make it. And then the under-the-radar guys. So, Brian, let's start it. Let's start with the crown jewels, and there's four of them. Gunner Givens, start with him, the highest-rated player in this Virginia Tech recruiting class. Gunner, a top 200 player, top 25 at the defensive end position, um, you know, four-star, basically in the, you know, mid-90s, low to mid-90s. He is the crown jewel of this class. Would you not agree? Yeah, um, he's definitely there. I'd put him in probably Camp Johnson, 1A, 1B. Um, you know, Gunner gets the the slight nod there with the, with the slightly higher rating. Um, and, you know, just the, the pedigree that everyone was looking at, the, kind of the one of the big dogs in the state. So, um, and, and I like it. I mean, you know, it looks like he's going to be, be on the defensive line for us. Um, he was kind of in that tweener um, spot as, as his recruitment went along there. Uh, you know, is he going to be an interior offensive line? Is he going to be, uh, you know, potentially a tight end? Is he going to be a defensive lineman? Um, settled on defensive line. I think that's probably the best um, place for him. Um, he's shown good athleticism on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Um, so I, I like him there. Um, so they don't make a lot of six five two seventy coming straight out of high school. No, that's 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 one of those things of like if if Givens comes in, I think he's enrolled already, and it starts clicking on the defensive line. He's going to have potential to have a role year one just because of body size. Yep. Now, you already mentioned the second crown jewel, Cam Johnson. You know, top three hundred player. Um, you know, and Probably one of the bigger reasons he's up here is where he plays. He plays at St. Francis Academy. That is an elite private school for football. Um, six foot, 165 pounds, already enrolled. Love seeing that. Um, how big is it to get that inroad to St. Francis with Cam? Uh, it, it's huge, man. It's huge. Uh, getting in with, with schools like St. Francis, and, I mean, we, we can just – we could run down the list of the of the the schools IMG. there. Yeah, <laughs> we 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 could run through the schools there that that we would like to get better relationships with. But St. Francis is definitely up there, um, you know, with with the, the the big boys in that area. And you know, I, I like this guy's tape. Um, you know, he's probably a little bit. Um, I wouldn't say raw, but um, definitely a, a, a little, little, little uh, rough around the edges in some some areas of his game. But I think out the gate, I mean, he's got great athleticism and good technique overall. Um, I think he'll make an impact. I don't know about year one, but he's a he's definitely a guy that you, you need to look out for um, year two as some of the older um, cornerbacks on this roster start kind of cycling out uh, after twenty twenty two. It's awesome to hear. So again, Cam Johnson, another one of the crown jewels of this class all right we, we kind of started arguing about the next two but we finally settled we had, we had a debate we did but 
the next crown jewel we looked at was Benji Gosnell. Um, the, you know, the 6'5", 240 tight end, played in Hillsville this year, originally from North Carolina. He is in the North Carolina rankings. You know, four-star guy, you know, top 20 at his position, you know, top 350 in the country. In he was originally committed to Ohio State, decommitted. Whatever reason, I'd have to go back and read those stories, but there was a late surge by North Carolina to try to get him in their boat and prime them essentially closed the deal on it. And we know how important North Carolina can be for recruiting. Yep. That's why he's here. Yeah, that's the big thing. So, I mean, when we talk about Benji Gosnell, you know, re- regardless of the the physical traits he brings, good size, 6'5", 240, uh, going and stealing a four-star from North Carolina's backyard after they've eaten our lunch for three straight cycles uh, is, is pretty, pretty fucking good. And, and I like that uh, we were able to make those moves and get that deal closed, especially with the coaching change and then probably being able to come in there and finish things off. Yep. So again, big, big, you know, land, getting the footing back in North Carolina, stealing a good player from down there. Big time. The fourth one, he's been there for a while for us. And I don't think it should come as any, it might come as a shock to some people we consider him a crown jewel, but I feel like we feel like Rashad Purnell is a crown jewel coming out of Highland Springs. We're still wondering what people are rating him on. I mean, you know, winner, Brian, you loved his tape of playing that three technique. You feel like he also could slip out to big end, something playing something like a five-six technique. And it's getting that Highland Springs, one of their elite guys, right? Yeah. Getting that guy to commit, stay committed, be one of the – if you didn't notice – Rashad out there recruiting every day, trying to get kids to come on. And he's a crown jewel of this class. Yeah, in my opinion, he is. I mean, we look at it and, you know, I'm going to give the, the most credence here to to his two, uh, 247 ranking at 89, which is, you know, borderline four star. Um, composite is kind of that that high, high three, high to mid three. Um, kind of bullshit, in my opinion. I think he probably probably should be – uh, literally a, a, a high three or a borderline four um, in most rankings. He's not quite there in a couple that, that brought him down there. Um, probably because some of them have him as kind of a tweener um, on the D line. Um, that, that might be what's impacting that, but watching the tape, it speaks for itself coming from a program like Highland Springs speaks for itself. Um, so yeah, definitely a crown jewel in our book. Exactly. So there are the four crown jewels, Gunnar Givens, Cam, Benji, and Rashad, the crown jewels of the 2022 Hokies recruiting class. Now, next, Brian, we're going to look at the blue-collar grinders. Um, guys tape that you love more than the others because I know I know one of, them, one of them I was on immediately – you sort of got me swayed into the other two. Um, and let's start with it. We've already got his brother Caden here, Braylon Moore. And Brian, just like big brother, while he a blue collar ground, there's a bunch of nasty in him. Yeah, a bunch of nasty. And I'd say he's probably got a little bit more 
potential upside uh, than his brother, um, but probably isn't going to be able to out the gate uh, play as quickly. So we'll, we'll see about that. But um, really nasty, um, really good in the run blocking game, uh, just like his brother. Hopefully we'll see him um, really soon get on the field and, uh, and get some chances to show what he can do. Um, but I like what we're, we're doing overall with this, uh, with the interior offensive line, uh, in this class, we're going to speak about the next guy here in a, in a couple minutes, but yeah, Braylon Moore is going to be somebody to keep an eye on. Um, cause he's going to go in there and again, that nasty guys always get, end up playing somewhere, somewhere, somehow I, I have a feeling too, just because of defensive line, I know we're, we're, we're kind of okay at D tackle. His size, I mean, he he could be right there, you know, battling for that soon. So again, there might be internal fighting between J.C. Price and uh, Rudolph soon. Yeah, but, he's at six three two ninety, so he's kind of got that. He's there. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's he's kind of right. Well, you want to play? You want to play him at guard? You want to play him at, at D tackle? Yeah, I, I guess it's going to depend on I, 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 if knowing him, no, and seeing his game, he's going to probably whatever. Uh, spot's going to get him on the field the fastest. That, yep. That's where he's going to end up. He's already enrolled, too, so they will get to see him in spring, which I think better helps to get that evaluation which side of the ball he's going to be on. Yeah, you can get that evaluation pretty quick, and that way get, get things settled before you really get into what will probably be a red shirt uh, year for him his freshman year. So um, that way he's working – with his position group that he's going to be with long term, because you got to get a good evaluation on him, um, you know, really before that redshirt freshman year. So that that's going to be important. I think that'll that'll put him fast track on his uh, on his route to to you know at least the two deep. Yep. All right, next guy, Brian kind of already gave it away. Although we've got a few offensive linemen, Brian loved Johnny Dixon out of Corpus Christi, Texas, the seven five Sam transfer to Texas who's coming back to Virginia um a true center correct yeah yeah true, true center, th- true center. yeah I think that's probably why he's on the blue collar grinder because he is a true center where you know those guys have got to be rough tough and also smart as hell um Johnny not enrolled yet uh we'll we'll slowly start figuring out when these guys will enroll well whether it will be uh, first summer session, second summer session, so we get in there in August. But why did you – you steered me really hard towards Johnny. Why Why Johnny? Uh, he's got a nasty trait, but, again, he's he's a guy that uses, um, you know, his intelligence, his ability to get in the right place and, and make the play uh, to his advantage. Um, just looking at the tape, he looks like a guy that could – uh, especially how thin we are at the position after the 2022. Um, I think he could be a guy that's going to slip into the starting role um, or at least a two deep role um, by by his second year on campus. Awesome to hear that. Um, and again, it was awesome to hold on to him after the old staff left. Um, yeah. And, and, and he talked about when he, when he committed back in April of 2021, he talked about, you know, he was he was a Virginia kid, his army kid though, or a, a military kid, and they got moved out there. And it's almost like this kid was always a Virginia kid. It didn't matter who the staff was. I think he might have came here, whoever it was. Yeah, he he was looking to try to get back on this on the East Coast, um, probably particularly in Virginia, 
uh, from Jump Street. Um, it, it, you know, this wasn't a, a Texas to VT situation. This was a no. I'm trying to play at VT regardless situation. BA uh, to TX to VT. There we go. There we go. And, and and kudos again, kudos to the staff, the current staff for closing the deal uh, on the on the handoff there because you know things can still go sideways. Um, you know, in, in in those situations. So the fact they were able to stay on him and and close it out was good. Yeah, because he had quite a few good offers, so it was one of those to stay on and make you know make sure you close the deal. All right, final guy here. Speaking of VA in the seven five, Kyrie Moiston, the six four, two hundred twenty pound defensive end out of Kings Fork down in Suffolk. Um, and this is one you pushed even more on me than Johnny. But why do you see as him in that grinder type role with Moiston? So he's got a motor, uh, and and he's going to need it because he's probably going to play play that smaller end, uh, opposite a gunner, opposite uh, you know, Purnell if he ends up sliding outside. Um, he's got quickness. He 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 uh, often pass rush with his hand in the dirt and standing up. So he's kind of got a little bit of uh, versatility there when it when it comes to pass rushing. Um, really good uh, at getting flat and fast chasing. Uh, running backs out of the backfield. So he's, he got a lot of, uh, you know, tackles for loss where he tracked down a running back from behind, behind the line of scrimmage. So um, I like his game overall. Again, it's going to be a little bit of getting, getting some weight on him and, and seeing how he can handle that. But, um, you know, out the gate, I like his, uh, his ability. Excellent. So again, our blue collar grinders, for whatever reasons, the streaks of nastiness, motors, um, intelligent play, Braylon Moore, Johnny Dixon, Kyrie Moist in there. All right, Brian, three guys we are putting at under the radar. And we've already talked about one of these guys. It was Daquan Wright. He, again, a mid three star just five months ago and now a four star. We've talked about his athleticism, his versatility, being able to probably line up anywhere as a tight end. And even though now he's a four-star, we put him here because he wasn't. When he committed, yeah. it was just like, well, this is a good player. And Not, his offer list is still somewhat somewhat, somewhat pedestrian, small, right? Yeah. Somewhat very pedestrian. So, you know, definitely under the radar. And, you know, it, it seemingly some of that extra tape with 247 made them go, whoa, this is this is a little different with this kid. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I was sitting here from day one when I watched this guy's tape. How is he not a four star? How <laughs> you do that? It, often. You did. It, it, it was. It was mind boggling how this kid was not a four star. And I mean, you know, two four sevens updated their uh, their ranking for him. Um, you know, we we looked at it when we were putting this uh, some of the notes together for this episode. Uh, what yesterday or the day before? Yeah. Um. Rivals having him as a wide receiver is what's bringing down his his composite rating on on two four seven and on on three. Um, if y'all haven't checked out on three, some of the the, the folks that started two four seven have a, have another uh, recruiting site yep. now. Um, they they've got you know rankings similar to two four seven. They go a little bit deeper. Uh, industry standard their... is great yep. because in, if you looked at industry standards, shout out on yep. three industry standards. You're like. When Brian was, I'm sure you went to on three. And it's like who's bringing him down? Freaking rivals has him at like a five point five, like a low, not a mid three star. They have him as a low three star. Even what uh, ESPN has him 
he was either a 79 or an 80. Yeah, it was he like a high, it was a, it was a high three. Very high three star. So big thing with on three, you kind of see a composite. Okay, go over there, you figure out who's bringing him down. All right, next guy, Brian, under the radar. Bryce Duke. Yeah. Bryce Duke. Um, one of our many scholarship running backs. One of our many scholarship <laughs> running backs. Hey, we only had a couple this class. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we, yeah we, you know, we trimmed it down significantly compared to, was it 2020 and 2021? Thousands. Um, but Bryce Duke got a Tuscarora up in Leesburg, 5'11", 196-pound running back, and um, already enrolled, which is great. We were up at Tuscarora visiting again because obviously they, they're not one of those. It's every 10 years. Tuscarora is putting out solid players every yeah. few years, if not every year. But why is he under the radar? He won the Metro Player of the Year. He had some ungodly numbers. And I was talking to Brown. I'm like, we got to put him here because it's where he plays and who he plays. Tuscarora is not in the biggest division. Yep. In Northern Virginia, so they're not playing a lot of the powers. If Bryce Duke put up those numbers somewhere here in Richmond or down in the 7-5, um, he wouldn't be a – he's like an 85 composite. He'd be a 95 composite. Yeah. If Bryce Duke played in Chesterfield or Virginia Beach, um, every every D1 school would be coming after him. Chris uh, Tyree. With the numbers he put up. Yeah. Chris Tyree. Uh, <laughs> but he doesn't so alas here we are um now what we don't know is, is is does his does that talent scale up yet yep we haven't seen what that talent looks like against higher level competition and we won't um it'll be a no. couple years yeah it's gonna it's gonna be a, a, at least a little bit um uh, but i think i mean you, you can't turn your nose up at that production no it's 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 hard to ignore that. And running back is a position that you don't necessarily the jump in talent doesn't necessarily negate the ability, right? Yeah. Uh, because usually the thing that is that you see more with with the running back position is that well, with other positions, I should say, not the running back position. Other positions level of talent you're usually talking about a lot lot bigger players. Yep. But that that matters more in the trenches. That matters more when you're a linebacker. Uh, as a running back, I mean, as long as you can take the hits, I mean, you, the level of competition is only going to impact you so much. Only so much. Now, I, I, I will counter this. If you're playing 1A or 2A, yeah. Um, and now that really has me interested in something. Look at what Tuscarora is. I thought they were 3A. We're efforting this, and I might be completely wrong, but I swore Tuscarora High School is 3A. I don't think they're 2A. Or I don't think they can be 2A or 1A being up in Northern Virginia. I think that's impossible. Uh, Hokies, by the way, up 14 points early. Keep it, keep it rolling. Early 17. They, they're really putting the hammer down, which is great to see. Obviously, there's been more than a couple times this year having good leads and letting them dwindle away. They're not doing that tonight. Um, oh, guy just missed a big dunk for Georgia Tech. Where is Tuscarora, Brian? Efforting, efforting. 
Georgia Tech cannot literally buy a shot right now. 10-foot jump shot, rims out. They get the rebound, layup. They're short. We hit a three. <laughs> and now we are up 17. There we go. That's what we like to hear. That's what we like to hear. Uh, they're uh, they're Division Four. Okay, so they're four. So yeah. they're not the five or six. They're four. So they're playing some decent schools. Um. So again, it's not one A or two A. Or don't, but don't don't crap on one A or two A. Guys like Jeff King, you know Justin Hamilton, and other players have came from those small schools. All right, Brian, let's hit the last one up. The under the radar guy, still trying to figure out his rating here. From the RVA, Thomas Dale, Malachi Madison, 6'3", 310-pound guy. Guys got interest from – had interest from Pitt, had interest from Colorado, Iowa State, Minnesota, Mississippi State, NC State, Penn State, West Virginia. UCF. UCF. So, good programs had super interest in him. He, he's right at the mid-three. I, I, I can't figure this out. He plays for a good team. He plays in a good league. He shows production. He has size. He also doesn't scout as a scholarship, which is awesome. If y'all read that story, um, some some military stuff with his uh, family, he's going to be on the team, and he is not going to be counted as a scholarship, which is awesome for the team, but you know, awesome that you know what kind of background he comes from. Yeah, I mean, this is a legit Division One player that doesn't count against the scholarship. This isn't, you know. A chair, a charity situation. This, this huh. is, uh, this is us getting a guy that I think can do a, a good amount of damage and, and not counting against the scholarship number. So that's huge. Um, and you know, we talk he's under the radar. You know, he's he's right there in that mid three range. But I mean, look at it, looking at his tape, he's he's. Really, I mean, look at the build six three three ten. I mean, he's going to be you know interior. He's going to be a D tackle. Um, this is a big need position for us. And I think just foundational wise, he's coming in at a size where, like I said, it's, it's more of a, you know, you, you buff out the edges and I think he's going to be ready to do some damage inside there. Yeah. And, and one of the tougher things to, uh, again, it's, it's where like the recruiting stuff kind of screws up is any player that size is a mid three, you know, is, it's just really tough. Sorry, having to do something here, folks. Um, it's just really tough to figure out how this guy flies under the radar. I would understand if we looked at his offer list and we were his biggest offer, right? Let's say he had the UCF and he had some you know, coastals and other places like that. But the schools I mentioned are legit Big Ten, Big 12, and, you know, SEC schools. He's got all the big uh... – G five schools on the East coast. And then a, a good handful of, of power five schools. Some of them with, you know, histories of putting out some really damn good defensive linemen like Pitt and like NC state. And the other thing is where he plays Thomas Dale, he's playing teams like bird. We, we know the products bird can put out. Matoa is putting players out. He playing Hopewell where Henderson went, Petersburg, Dinwiddie. That's a good schedule. That's a good yeah. schedule that he played against. So, Blows my mind why he's one of the under-radar guys. So, again, folks, the three under-the-radar guys, Daquan Wright, Bryce Duke, Malachi Madison. So, 
And like I said, we could have put Daquan Wright in there with the crown jewels if it wasn't for the fact that he was legitimately under the radar. Legitimately under the radar. <laughs> so the, the class in general, again, 33rd, we feel we feel good about it because there are some players there that had some good tape. And with this change in regime, we feel like they're probably going to be able to use them better and more intelligently. <laughs> yeah, and – you know, I think we, we kind of were expecting a big loss in the class as being a side effect of moving on, which we needed to do. And it, it you know, Bumping one or two players aside, you know, I think we came out about as good as we could have expected. It was a bump in the road, man. It, it's yeah. crazy to think when Justin Puente essentially stepped down, we were at 26-27. We only drop about five to six spots, which is normally does not happen. All right, Brian, real quick, I want to just hit you on this and then ask you a quick question. The recruiting makeup scholarship-wise of this class, I'm including Malachi Madison just because he's that type of player. Offensively, one quarterback, one running back, two wideouts, three defensive ends, six offensive linemen. Defensively, six defensive linemen, one linebacker, and three defensive backs. What it, if this is you, if you're the director of player personnel, recruiting, whatever, how would your typical year look like? How would you want it balanced out? Because to me, this year is a hell of a lot better than what we've done the last couple of years. It's a lot better because you always want to be like every year you want at least a handful of offensive linemen, at least a handful of defensive linemen. Um, I think defensive linemen and offensive linemen, we probably went a little heavier than we would in a typical year just because we have such a deficiency on both sides of the ball at those positions right now. And you always need bodies because you got five on the offensive line, you got to start. You got four on the defensive line, you got to start. And defensive line, you're probably rotating a full eight guys to get it right. Yeah, to get so so you're you're talking about eight positions that you're going to have to be, have game day ready on both sides of the ball. Yep. So you're saying probably offensive defensive line four to five a year, regardless. Just we're taking eight to ten. We could go eleven. We could go twelve. Exactly. What about defensive back? Because that's when we went three. I felt like we could go one or two more. Although. I put Xavion Bradshaw at wide receiver. He could be over on the defensive backside. He does have that skill set. Same with defensive back, four to five. Or could you go lower because of? I think you can go. I think you could go four, um, just because there is some position fluidity um, with some positions that we have now. Um, You know, there's some guys you recruit as a safety that might end up at Sam. There's some guys that you recruit is Sam that might end up at safety. So there's some position fluidity there that, that could have some overlap. Um, but I think like four, three to four in a given year, maybe at the top end five, um, but, but four would probably be the, the, the nice little middle, middle ground there uh, for DBs. Um, and, you know, some of that's just going to depend on how the cycle is going through, whether you, you're still heavy at corner, whether you're still heavy at safety and what that makeup looks like uh, because safety, obviously there's a little more, uh, position fluidity that there would be at somebody that's a true corner. Yeah. Um, like KM and like DJ last year. Yep. And then the uh, the rest, the linebacking groups, the tight ends, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks. 
I'm one of those. I think we should take a quarterback every year. You don't know who's going to hit. You don't know who's, you know, who's going to click when they get to college. The running back room, the way we had done it, just completely messed it up. I don't think we can take one a year. I think that's a two or three position a year because sometimes you have those guys come in and it does take them a while to get going. Some guys can take a look this year. It would happen. Yep. Give it a few games, started rolling. Um, you should have six to eight scholarship running backs at any given time. Not six to eight in one cycle. Yeah, we had, we had at one point, what, 12 or 13 scholarship right. running backs on the roster? Yeah, kind of insane. You can't do and, that. And, you know, I feel like wide receiver, linebackers, depending on your offensive system and tight end, depending on your offensive systems, that's going to fluctuate. You could probably get by with – when we're hearing Brent Pry continually say tight end dominant offense, I don't think we're going back to the 1970s and running, you know, some sort of seven, eight-man line just pounding the ball. But I think what they're looking to do is you're probably going to have minimum two tight ends on the field at a time. Twelve personnel unless we are in some sort of hurry up, come from behind yeah. mode. But then, but then you take a look at guys like Daquan Wright and even a guy like Drake or James Mitchell, where even you can stay in twelve personnel, right? You can stay we in twelve personnel and, and still run your your entire playbook. They're playing the Joker, so it's it's one of the interesting things going into twenty twenty three. We'll be paying real attention to keep an eye on folks, see how we're how they're balancing this class out, look at potential voids of the next couple of years. All right, Brian. Oh, by the way, we did take a kicker. Didn't want to leave him off. We have a kicker on scholarship. He better be kicking field goals year one, much like Peter Moore did year <laughs> one punting. All right. I mean, it worked uh, out last year. Hopefully it works out this year. Order review, Brian. No ins, no outs. Um, I guess that's good. Guys At this surprised. point, that's good. I mean, you know, right now we're probably going to see a little bit of uh, – fluctuation as we get towards the end of winter workouts and we'll probably see more fluctuation after the spring game or as we approach the spring game um but the fact that we didn't lose anybody in the process there i think bodes well for folks buying in at least in the short term um you know i know some people are gonna if if they don't see their themselves jumping up the depth chart like they want that's that's another story but at least in terms of what the coaches is is uh selling right now they're buying it so 100%. i'm good with that now nobody in nobody out but jamari connor and nadir thompson announced they're returning that's good for the back end and that's I'll, big I'll and i think i think jamari connor is going to be sam i, I think, think he's moving he to sam now do you think he's going to play sam and nickel or because the, what we've seen and what our buddy robbie who we're going to be discussing within a couple weeks here Last couple of years, they stayed in base regardless. Like you go three wide, cool. We got a Sam linebacker. I can run what I want to run out of here with him. Um, and I think it's good for him. For Jamari Connor to play that Sam, that's what he's gonna play in the league. Now the question's yeah. going to be if we do go to nickel, does Jamari leave the field? That's Nick. the question. Um yeah, it's a big one. And so, so there's, there's two schools of thought here because, you know, playing Sam, he's probably going to get less 
day-to-day practice at the things that he's probably are the deficiencies in his game. Yep. So he, that may not be something where you can just kind of flip the switch and, and move him back out there again. He, he, at, at best, he'll still probably have the same liabilities in those situations that he had this year because he's not going to be repping it as much, um, even as he was last year. Uh, that said, um, having having some fluidity there where you don't have to go nickel, a true nickel package every time, that, that definitely helps. Well, it helps if you're playing hurry-ups, right? If you're yep. playing hurry-up teams, it's like, we don't need to sub out. We're going to go to this next yeah. step. If, I mean, if you got a team that, you know, you, you get them in a third and long and you got a chance to, you know, they're not hurrying up so you can get your, your true nickel in there and get your sub package in there, that's fine. Um, but if they're going hurry up, then you can stick with your base and still not be vulnerable. Yep. Even though you still, you know, you, you don't have as many, you still have probably more holes than your nickel package has if they're going um, hurry up, but you're not bleeding. No, you're not at all. All right, Brian. Well, let's flip it over to this. We're going to talk about more staff additions. We are completely away from mom and pops now. We're we're not we're not you know nationwide corporate. We're definitely regional corporate now. Um, and let's start with this one. If you recognize the name, sounds familiar, especially the last name. It shouldn't surprise you. Jalen Belen has been hired to serve as the director of on-campus recruiting. Um. Why does Belen name sound so familiar, you ask? Well, John Belen was basically Frank's chief of staff for 30 years, basically from the moment Frank walked through the door until he yep. left. Um, he, she comes from Wake Forest, um, where she was an assistant. Essentially, she was Dave Clawson's chief of staff um, and their on-campus recruiting coordinator, so what she's doing here. So obviously has some backgrounds, had been there um, for a couple seasons graduated from uh georgia southern mom is the chief of staff of uh the men's basketball program that we're watching right now who was up 20 points a second ago love the hire Brian. yeah um i mean you can say you know ties i mean obviously that's that you can spend that one way or the other but um you know she's got the bona fides too to back that up um and i think it's going to be a good good asset and and someone that already kind of has an understanding of, of the way Virginia tech operates. And I think that's important. And that's, that's the big thing that Pry has been looking at as he's built both the on the field staff and the off the field staff is, you know, some of that familiarity with how Virginia tech operates the uh, how to sell it and also understanding the limitations and how to, you know, make sure that those don't get highlighted as well, which is just as important in the recruiting process as anything else as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's that, She's basically been her hooky her whole life, with the exception of going to Georgia Southern for undergrad. You know, she you know she left Blacksburg at eighteen. She's yep. lived in Blacksburg for eighteen years. You don't think she doesn't know that place ins and out? Like you said, know what to sell, know what not to sell. Now, she's the director of on-campus recruiting, so I think that she's primarily going to be the person when they show up for their visits. Now, the director of recruiting. Cami Nations, Cami Nations coming to us from Marshall. So obviously Mike Villanagrana all yep. over, fingerprints yep. all over this hire. Um, so what did she do uh, with her? Thunder and yeah, her? She, I, yeah, she was at, she was at uh, Marshall when they signed their best class ever. Ever, ever. And don't get me wrong. 
I think having Charles Huff there is helping them out a lot, but having knowing someone like this who saw it be done in a way, it's awesome. Um, but well, you also, know, well, you know, at, at worst, they're not fumbling the bag behind the scenes. They're they're getting everything done um, that needs to be done. Yeah. Um, you know, whether they're moving the needle forward, they're not they're not setting the needle back. Nope, not at all. Um, she's actually been in collegiate football since 2013, where she started as an assistant, a student assistant at LSU. Um, that is her alma mater. So she graduated there in 17. Um, then she went over to Mississippi State um, and served as a recruiting assistant while Villagrana was the director of recruiting. Um, also some connection there. Joe Moorhead was um, – coaching there during that time frame also chris marr was there at that point in time as well so obviously we see some interconnections there yep and um you know 1920 she was over at austin p um you know I, I feel like this is you know solid resume not blowing your things but i feel like this is a villagrana comfort hire from where his position is now he essentially has worked with her, and basically he's saying to himself, she's going to get her shit done. I'm not going to have to worry about what she's doing in that office. Yeah, well, I think there's two things that stand out to me. So number one is obviously the relationship with Villagrana and the comfort level that he has with her doing the role. Number two, you know, we, we talked about the resume, but what the resume says to me is that she's seen the inner workings of pretty much every level of college football to some degree up to this point. Yep. The biggest programs, the bit one uh, of the biggest programs. You're you're running the mill SEC. She's seen uh, high level G five. She's seen FCS. Yep. I mean, she's seen how the recruiting happens at different levels and and brings that experience to the table. Yep. Awesome. So welcome her aboard. All right, Brian. <laughs> the next guy. When this floated down to us, what was about ten days ago. Like. We have a pretty big high school head coach. He's coaching the 7-5. He's coached down in North Carolina. And it looks like he's going to be doing something. Glenwood Farabee gets announced director of high school relations. All right. So, first of all, he's been in North Carolina the last couple of years. Down Julius Chambers, down outside Charlotte. His team is 38-5. and five over the last three seasons. They won back-to-back state titles in 19 and 20. Before that, he was Devin Hunter's head coach down in Indian River. And he coached down at Lakeland in the 7-5. In Suffolk. Went to Liberty. I mean... What more do you want from a director of high school relations than that resume? So, yeah, what is there to say? Uh, Glenwood Faraby, um, to me, it sounds like a golf name, right? Uh, Glenwood Faraby approaches the par four ninth for his tee shot. Um, yeah, but uh, what I really like about this hire is that it, it speaks further to that point that we've been making is that um, this isn't mom and pop anymore. We're approaching this. Um, from a corporate standpoint and we are looking to 
uh, improve I mean, our outreach like, to those high schools and improve and the, the relationships also and kind of set things up for the future because it, having those relationships like in place of, um, helps us be strategic when we want just to getting out of it, um, you know, push is, hard which for is really a good to prospect hear in the future. If a guy has, I'm going to be director of high school relations and I've been out of it eight or 10 years, you might have a good feel of what it's coming from the university and what to look at. Um, but maybe not so much what's going on inside the high schools now as, you know, kids evolve. But, Brian, let's continue to flip because the strength and conditioning staff has added quite a few new members as well. Um, and let's start by uh, taking a look at the first. To me, this looks like a basic hiring of uh, this is my right-hand man. He knows how I want stuff done. Greg Allen six years at ODU, so obviously spent some time with the White Galt. Also served down at Richmond before that and Marshall. Um, this just seems like this is Dwight's right-hand man. Yeah, it definitely seems like this is a guy that he has a, a high degree of comfort level with um, that he's bringing on. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to be um, the guy that he's leaning on most uh, in this staff, uh, probably out the gate just because of that comfort level. Yes, sir. Now, the next man needs no introduction in Blacksburg. Jarrett Ferguson returns. Um, Ferguson, obviously a crucial player in the 99 season, played for the Hokies 98 to 01, then came back as the senior strength and conditioning coach 16 or 2006 to 17. Again, it you said it just a few minutes ago with Jalen Boleyn. You've got to know your culture. And it yep. seems like at every level, Brent Pry is having a culture hire. Yeah, every level, there, there's a culture hire. There's a guy that understands Blacksburg, understand what it means to be a Hokie, understands the tradition and – Jarrett Ferguson is just another example of of kind of getting back to the roots, um, but still pushing pushing forward into kind of a new era as well. So um, I think that's really you know what what this staff is about, and Jarrett Ferguson is kind of you know a microcosm of that on the strength and conditioning staff. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, KJ Florence. I, I'm I'm still trying to figure out how we stole this guy. KJ Florence last year or last few years had served as the assistant strength and conditioning coach down at Ole Miss. Yep. He was primarily for running backs, tight ends, and quarterbacks and specialists. Obviously, Matt Corral has shaped himself into probably being a first round quarterback this year. You know, maybe it's just getting back home. Guys originally from Virginia Beach. He had went some time in Marshall in 19. Did some internship down at Georgia, so he's seen some workings of two pretty big SEC programs, and now we have him here. Really like this hire. Yeah, this is big for us. Um, you know, again, getting back somebody that native of the Virginia Beach area, uh, you know, went to uh, Old Dominion for undergrad, graduated in 2014. Um, so this is somebody with deep ties to Virginia um, that we were able to kind of bring back into the fold. And I think having that pedigree and then seeing, again, you talk about Ole Miss, um, you know, he also was at, uh, what, Marshall yeah, uh, for a while as well. So 
Um, you know, he's seen he's seen you know a good deal of programs in a short period of time. Um, I think he's going to be a big asset for us. Absolutely. Last one, Matt Greenhalla. Um coming from Georgia Southern, so obviously, you know, obviously probably has some contacts with Brad Glenn there, but did an internship down at South Carolina. And if you know, remember Dwight did have some connection down in South Carolina. So to me, not a probably not a probably partially a buddy hire, yes, but someone who he spent three years at Georgia Southern. Um, he'd spent three years at App State as assistant strength conditioning directors there. Um, probably just one of those things where you've got you got your right hand man. This is an up and comer that knows what you like. Same way, important. You got Ferguson. To me, you got Ferguson who knows the culture. You've got of Blacksburg. You've got KJ, who's seen big-time programs and developed some big-time players. And then, once again, you've got Dwight's kind of guy. So, kind of a guy I know these guys are going to help these other guys along. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when we talk about strength and conditioning, I mean, yes, they have, you know, they're not quite as impactful day-to-day as, as the coach would be. But, you know, we talk about a guy that was interning at South Carolina and was working primarily with a defensive line that had Jadavia and Clowney on it. Um, you know that that's that's a that's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, GA at the Citadel. Um, you know, spent time at App State. Now at Georgia Southern. Now now he comes to us. I think you know this resume is a, is a is a guy that is kind of building there. And I think this is yes, it's a I don't I wouldn't call it a buddy hire. It's a relationship hire. Yeah. And I think this guy's shown aptitude to get the job done wherever he's landed. Absolutely. And then, Brian, there is a new position amongst Virginia Tech uh, strength or Virginia Tech strength conditioning, and that is the director of sports science, who is Brian Jackson. Um, he's had a similar role to this down at William and Mary last year. Um, also did some stuff down at Duke implementing sports performance programs down there. It's really interesting to, if you heard Pry talk today, Basically, he's. It sounds like he's monitoring everything these guys are doing. Like I know he mentioned something about like if a guy has a hamstring injury and he says he's okay, and the stuff that Brian Jackson's reading says now nah, something's going on because his explosiveness is here. It was here, yep. and so he's almost like I'm not saying a private detective for the coaching staff on this sort of stuff. But he kind of is. And then his background, he was in the 82nd Airborne. I mean, what could it, you know, what are you going to say to a guy who's done that? Yeah. I mean, he was a parachutist. Laid his life out there, did did that, uh, and, 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 you know, doing it in a way that, you know, is is even intense uh, relative to, <laughs> you know the, the the normal side of that um yep. and then and then coming into a role like this you know i think putting putting science behind those, those essentially the training aspects that we're looking at here and you know whether someone can be pushed harder whether they need to be pushed a little less but you know based on um you know the data and based on things that that he's seeing um i think that's going to be big for us having a scientific approach and 
again, this this speaks more to us kind of coming into the 21st century and using you know all the tools that are available in the tool belt and not overlooking anything that could benefit us off the field and on the field. Yep, 100%. A couple other things announced today. Um, Javea Gavay Winslow and Lino Lepetti are going to be retained. I uh, think both those guys doing very good jobs. And this is interesting. Kaishan Jarrett is going to move to a defensive GA role. Um, me and you were trying to look back. We felt like Kaishan was doing something with the Redskins a few years ago, more on field than in a development role. Um, now, I don't know if this is one of those things is like as they are slowly building the analytics and changing the player development team. It's cool that he gets to stay because he is a hokey through and through, probably one of the better safeties in the last uh, five, ten years. And a guy who him and Chuck, not, huh? Him and Chuck, yeah. If not for probably a freak neck injury, probably would still be in the league in some capacity because he was showing out there. Yeah, I think this is big, and I think getting him into a role where he can kind of have an impact on the field as well is going to be good for him. Um, I don't know what his long term goals are in terms of whether it's coaching or you know a higher level off the field role, uh, but this kind of gives him that. You know, he's got experience both off the field and now he's, he'll have some on the field that he can kind of pivot uh, whichever way he decides to go. And, you know, hopefully that ends up being long term with the Hokies. But I think this is a good uh, a good kind of career building move for for him and, and something that's going to help us on the field as well. Absolutely. All right. Before we get into some uh, of our other topics tonight, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. And we are back. And for those who are watching us, or watching the game, listening to us. Hokies up 16 with less than six minutes to go over Georgia Tech. Let's just go ahead and put it away and make it a 20-point victory. There we go. All right, Brian. So this week, the schedule was announced. We knew everybody we were playing. We just And we knew a few of the orders, but we didn't know the complete order. And now it's kind of been laid out there. Um, let's kind of do this by quadrants of four, right? Let's yeah. take a look at the first four games. We are at ODU, which will either be a Friday night or a Saturday game. Pretty sure CBS Sports has that. I'm pretty sure they're probably going to put that in a primetime window. So be looking at a six or seven kick either one of those nights. Um, so pretty big there. Yep. And then the home opener is not an easy task for Brent Pry. You know, Boston College and, you know, Djokovic coming back and a pretty well-coached team there. Well-coached team and a team that during the Fuente era kind of had a snake bitten most of the time, except for that uh, that one game we got them uh, when they were turning the ball over. So uh, I think this is going to be an interesting one to look at. Um, you know, are they going to be a step up or a step down from where they were last year? I think, you know, We'll see how we are at this point. I think uh, ODU is probably a good 
um, a good team to kind of cut our teeth against before we get into an ACC opener. Yeah. Um, because they are, you know, they, they are a team that doesn't have as much talent as, as we do, but they are a team that plays above their talent level at a consistent level. Um, so I think that's kind of a, a good a good way to cut our teeth, and then we'll see what we got against Boston College. Yep. Seventeenth of September is the Wofford game, or you know, an FCS team, um, in which we need because September twenty second, Thursday night, Lane Stadium against West Virginia. <laughs> well, when 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 we knew this series happened, right? Yeah. And you know, it's Thursday nights aren't what they used to be for collegiate football because the NFL is essentially taking it over. But this is like a power player right here because you're talking about the 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 mountaintops of Thursday nights. Yeah, were some of the West Virginia games. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think we're going to be jacked that game. I think the crowd is going to be jacked. I think there's going to be a bunch of people from the ages of 23 to 73 not going to work Thursday or Friday that weekend and making it a full weekend. But to have that game, because you it, immediately you, when that thing popped up Thursday, you knew that's a night game. Oh, yes. As, as soon as it popped, I was like, yep, that's going to be Thursday night. Um prom time. Prom time. We got West Virginia coming into Blacksburg. They've got the black diamond. We want that shit back. Yes, we do. And that's really going to kick off what becomes a the gauntlet stretch of this schedule, right? Yep. The next four games, <laughs> including the bye, go as follows. At UNC, which is not a scary place to play. At Pitt, where it is scary because it's so damn quiet. Miami at home on the 15th. Open on the 22nd for a bye, and then a Thursday night um, game down in Raleigh. State. Yeah, it's going to be a big game. Um, which of those four games worries you the most? Uh, probably, probably Thursday at NC State is going to be our toughest competition. But I'd say Pitt is probably one B, just because of how we historically uh, play when we go to uh, Heinz Field. Um. And even though I think Pitt's not going to be as good as they were this year, I think they're going to still have a little smoke. Um, they'll be good enough, and that might be, you know, hopefully we're not the same same team that's uh, traveled to Pittsburgh the last few years and laid some eggs. Exactly. Let's hope that is going to be washed away in the prior era. The other two games are just probably the two most talented teams we'll play all year rankings wise star wise yes in, um, in terms of just overall the recruits that they've put have and the, and the guys that they've grabbed in the portal unc and miami will be the most talent laden teams that we will play in this period despite the fact that they haven't always played up to that their uh their ranking exactly um i kind of look at the first eight games and so much is going to be tone setting, right? Yeah. What happens in those first eight games? Is it, you know, expectations? I don't – some people are already like eight wins, six wins, ten wins. Somebody said 12 wins. Trying to 
realize what that person was on, but you know, to each his own. <laughs> um, I mean, there's but, there's not a game on here that we couldn't win. No, but, there's not. But there, but there's sir. I don't. I don't think I have no illusions that we will come close to running the table. <laughs> yeah. The best part about this schedule. Let's talk about the last four games. Georgia Tech is going to be November fifth. Then followed by at Duke, at Liberty, and then UVA at home. Best thing about this schedule, top to bottom, is the furthest drive this team has is Pitt. Yeah. Uh, so they're definitely going to be getting at a lot of these places. You know, some pro Hokies there going to get. You know, we should travel. We should travel well. Um, you know, Let's, you don't have to worry worry about the uh, the travel fatigue as much. Yep. Um, you're not on you're not on a plane as long. You're not on a bus as long. You're, I mean, all all that is is shortened. Um, and then you talk about the stretches. So we start. I'd say we we started about at the average level. We ramp it up a little bit, but then we kind of got a little bit of a of a coast and in, coast into the finish. Uh, you know, I don't yep. think it. I don't think it gets easy, but it definitely uh, tapers off. I think it gets easy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Georgia Tech is like Georgia Tech and Duke. Players. Yeah, I'll give you that. They are hemorrhaging players. Yeah, hemorrhaging players. I mean, it, it, with Georgia Tech is hemorrhaging. Duke's under Elko under a, a brand new system. Brand new everything, trying to get back to Duke where they were. They're going to be a tough out. I just don't think they have the talent right now to do anything. No, 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 not this year. Liberty Malik Willis ain't coming back. They got Charlie Brewer. I've seen Charlie Brewer play. Charlie Brewer is not Malik Willis. I know Hugh Freeze is a freaking genius offensively, but he's not exactly working with a potential NFL quarterback. He's working with a average collegiate starter. And that's, we even saw that's trying to salvage a career because of concussions. Exactly, which is just so we don't know if Charlie Brewer is going to even be starting by the next to last week in the season. But more so with Liberty is all right. We saw what they did in 2020. Yet we lost to them. We saw they had a great season. They didn't have a great season last year. They it, were they were fine. They were okay, but they weren't. They were not doing. I think some people they were if if they if, if they were in a, a a power five district they'd be a flirting with the bowl they'd be yeah, somewhere exactly. between five wins and maybe seven wins would be their upper end exactly. last year last year with Malik Willis with Malik Willis all right so then UVA um, obviously they're going through their own coaching change a lot of kids in the portal Armstrong's back yes um, so I, I think they've. So they they won't have the same offensive line they had last year, but they've at least stopped the hemorrhaging of offensive linemen that they were having with some of the the signings that they've had. Um, but I think the overall talent level is a step back. Now we'll see if uh, you know two J can get them you know turned around really quick. But I think you're definitely going to see a step back in offensive line play for UVA. I don't think they have a quick fix for that defense. Uh-uh. Uh, so I mean, it's still going to be. The, the Brennan Armstrong show and they got to hope that, that works at least for the 2022 year. I figure. Exactly. All right, Brian. So there's the AC schedule. That's our just initial thoughts. Obviously, as we get deeper into the season and get closer to the season, we will do what we did last year, game by game thought process. 
while we get our records. You got a gut feeling out the gate of, of how many you think we get? I, I don't. I honestly don't. Um, because I sit here and I think most important positions quarterback, right? Yep. To me, Jason or Wells are better quarterbacks than Braxton was. I, th- I think we're at least going to get. Like we have competency on offense. Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, I know we're going to talk about it in two weeks when uh, when me and Robbie break down the uh, both sides of the ball, but the, the competency of the of the play calling, I feel like is going to be significantly higher uh, from what I've seen so far and the tape I've watched so far. Uh, so <laughs> y'all, y'all can, that's my teaser for for two weeks from now. Y'all look forward to that. Um, but I think that alone, even if you talked about the same talent level coming back, um, you know, that, that probably gets us one or two wins, um, in the other direction. Now, I think we probably at least initially, um, talent wise have taken a step back on defense. So we'll see if, if the pry factor is able to offset that. Um, maybe so, so we'll see, but I mean, if I had to go gut, I'm saying that's somewhere between. Five and seven, I think we might could get. Uh, if if you told me right now we get six, I'd be happy with that. Um, and that's based on the roster as it's constructed now. Um, ask me again once we have the the next big portal in, portal out after the uh, the spring game. Well, well, why don't we talk about the spring game? Because heck, spring game April sixteenth at four o'clock, we could see something there, and you could look at me and be like, "Did I say six? Higher, higher, <laughs> lower, lower. But spring game, April 16th, 4 p.m. We'll be on ACC Network. Um, you mean I it's going to be on ACC Network and people can go in person? Yes, they can. What a novel fucking concept. Craziness. <laughs> Our current status for that game is TBD because we have weddings around the same time where – you're going to be out of town a couple weekends. I'm going to be out of town a couple weekends. And sometimes as you grow up to be an adult, to ask to go out of town again, <laughs> it doesn't fly all the time. But either way, we're going what to get we're, What we want to do is we want to get probably a quick hitting episode live from a tailgate at the spring yes. game. We're hoping that happens. Um, obviously, there's there's still some moving parts to that, but... Uh, we will let you know as soon as uh, we both have been given the green light, um, both from our own mindsets and from our wives. <laughs> There's your key right there. Now, let's talk about this, though, Brian. Spring practices are going to start March 18th. Um, and something that Pride talked about during the press really caught my ear. He talked about those opening days of um, spring practice aren't really practice days. You hear him say this today? Like the 18th, 19th, and 20th are like installation days more yep. than hard-hitting practice days. What does that tell you? Do you think this is like his norm, or is this just this is brand new here? Um, and I have to do it this way this year. Well, I think you, you probably I don't know if we get as as many practices, but you're gonna spend a good deal of, of practices out the gate, especially in spring, uh, with installation. You know, you're bringing along more than likely, uh, you know, some new freshmen, obviously, that have just enrolled. You're bringing along uh, freshmen that redshirted the previous year that probably ran uh, more of the other team's 
uh, playbooks than they ever got to look at our own team's playbooks. Uh, so the level of installation is going to be something like that out the gate regardless. Um, it's always a good refresher to get some of the veterans back into that mindset as well. Um, you know, th there are there are some guys on a team, uh, you know, particularly a quarterback that almost has to do this, um, but then other position guys that, that kind of really – they soak up the playbook. It's in their head, uh, unless it's a new play or some or another wrinkle that the the coordinator's adding to the offense. They've got that shit in the memory bank. And then there's other guys that they have to get those reps to really have that muscle memory. Um, so that's why you do things like that with installation because there's there's guys that learn differently uh, that are veterans, and then you got to bring those young guys along as well. Makes sense. Fifteen total practices, uh, Brian. Um, will be the amount and starting the 18th they're starting a little bit later than the old staff did um, for whatever reason I think maybe a couple of it is I'd have to look but tech spring break is probably somewhere um, in that neighborhood maybe it's that we're going to wait a few days till they're back from spring break to get them into it makes a lot of sense to me um but there are two new rules that have been passed concerning spring practice. Um, the first is going to limit full contact to no more than 75 minutes of a non-scrimmage practice. What does that say to you when you hear those words like that? Um, I think it's good and bad. Um, you know, I think when he talks about 75 minutes, no more than that for non-scrimmage practice. Uh, you don't want guys getting beat up during the spring, but you also want to make sure that they are hitting during the spring because that's when you get to do a lot more with fundamentals. You get to do a lot more with install. Um, but if, if you're going to run install, you need to, to sometimes get that going full speed as well. Um, so I don't, I don't hate it from a long-term uh, health perspective, but it gets you probably a little less out of some of those practices than, you, than you'd want. I got you. I got what you mean by that. Um, I, I want to say it used to be 90, so down about 15 minutes. Yep. Um, that is a lot of time overall. I think, again, I, I get like you've got to get physical because that is the nature of this game. But it's also, if we're looking at a safety thing, which is going to go more and more to, like, what's 15 minutes? Really, what's 15 minutes? What can you do that you can't do in 75? Now, the other one, this is a super interesting one because they are going to be banning full contact from occurring on two consecutive spring days. Um, so basically no back-to-back -back pads, which obviously going to save some on the body, but also tells me there it, it's going to probably be a thing for coaches. Like you now have to be really smart of how you plan these things out. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think they're going to change how they probably uh, do the their practices. They're going to be periods where they that that they don't include on the days where they can't hit, and then there's going to be you know certain periods that they include only on days that they're going um, you know full pads. So um, yeah, I think that'll just change how they're going to structure those practices based on you know which periods and which you know specific drills and things are done on on a given day. So, again, some new rules that the coaches have to uh, abide by and live with. I think we're lucky in the sense that Brent Pry is a new coach. 
a new head coach. You can say, well, he's he'd been at Penn State and they've been doing certain things certain ways. Coolest part is he gets hired as a head coach. He gets to put this together, and then they say, well, you can't do this anymore. Cool. Well, I was writing my plan out anyway, and I can just take that into account to look forward to, which is a really great thing. First of all, right before we get ready for our last segment here, Hokie's up 13 with 50 seconds left. Passner in the punchable face and his stupid-looking sideburns is – uh, he's like he took a timeout. It's like, dude, you're freaking down 13. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, we saw Reggie Miller do the impossible one time, but come on, man. Yep, I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, I, I, I did confirm actually their uh, spring break ends March 13th, so they're essentially giving them a few days to get back in the swing and then going full bore. But. St- but think about the, the genius of it. They're probably going to do two or three days that weekend, right? Yep. Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, huge installation program to start it right off the bat where the guys are back in the swing versus, you know, doing it the 14th or 15th, middle of the week. You know, to me, that doesn't make sense. All right, Brian. There is essentially one game left in this football season and it is the super bowl and unfortunately we got one guy that's not happy on this uh on this podcast or less happy (laughs) much less happy for myself it is not the san francisco 49ers with our guy daryl tap helping them out it's the rams and it's the Bengals. Thankfully, it's the Bengals. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there are certain things we don't have to see leading up to that game that pretty much as a sporting community, unless you live in Kansas City, no one wants to see Jackson Mahomes. No. Nobody. Nobody really wants to see Brittany either, but definitely nobody yeah. wants to see Jackson Mahomes. Definitely nobody wants to see Jackson. So, Bengals, Rams. On or off a mechanical bull. Huh? I said on or off a mechanical bull. I don't know if you saw that video this weekend. <laughs> Did not see that video this weekend. Okay. <laughs> but this game, we're not going to do spread here, but I just want to see what the line is. Rams are four-point favorites, 49.5 over under. Um, I'm going to let you do the saving because I, I can't right now. What do you think on this game, Brian? Who you got? And I know we're really a long ways out, so if people get hurt, you can always take your bet away. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Bengals. You know, I think that that defense does a good job of keeping them in there. I think there's a little bit more um, fight in in the Bengals. Um, we'll see if they can hang with that defensive line because that's the, really the only thing that concerns me is that defensive line getting after Burrow and causing havoc because the Bengals almost don't have an offensive line. Um, but if they're able to slow them down enough for Burrow to cook, I think they could be onto something. All right. Interesting call. Hokies win, by the way. Let's see if we can make it like nine in a row going to the tournament next month 
Um, I'm completely against you. I think the Rams are going to win this game. I think it's going to be a seven to nine point win. And it's exactly what you just said. It's defensive line versus offensive line. And that is a bad offensive line. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And let's go through it. Does Kansas City have an elite defensive line? No. Does the Titans have an events an elite defensive line? I would say above average, but not elite, no. Do the Raiders? No. So how they got here is they played three teams without elite defensive lines. It, I think Aaron Donald and Von Miller are going to just eat all night. And where most teams don't have that one lockdown corner, Jalen Ramsey's just going to follow Jamar Chase all over the field. I think Jamar Chase is going to get his, but I think Jalen's probably going to be able to limit him enough. Um, and I think personally that defense is good, not great. And I think our defense is great. And we held that team to 20 points. And we have an elite defensive line. We have right borderline elite linebacker play. Our back end is a little bit struggling. But our back end, I think, I think this game's like 35-26. I think the Rams are going to score at will. Um, and it, it's, is it funny for me being a West, an NFC West guy? And I'm not paying to see the Rams win because Stafford and like, they have their a-holes on that team, but they also have, like, good guys. Like, you know. Yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah. So, Brian's on the Bengals. I'm on the Rams. I'll ride the Bengals for now. Like I said, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll reevaluate a little bit, but I, my, <laughs> my, my gut. Like, listen, Rams. <laughs> Why? I, I mean, all, all my bowl game. picks were, were really good, so I, let's see if, if my playoff You're, picks are good here. Yes, you, they were. Brian, anything in the last hour and a half, because we have rolled through a bunch of stuff breaking. I, I think I'm good, man. I, th- I don't see well, anything other than the game. Um, the I'm seeing Mike Brady's picture making fun of Josh Pastner. That's pretty freaking funny. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's great. All right. Well, if you've got nothing else, Brian, let's wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerBC.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you are there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube account and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in. He plays us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. Also, check out his page on YouTube where you're going to see some really cool covers. I don't know if he's put it up there yet. Uh, he, uh, What did he do? The Judas Priest? Yeah, Breaking the Law. Breaking the Law cover. Pretty freaking sweet, Jason. Um, we thank you always, guys, for listening to us. Season 3 has started. And as always, let's go. Okay.